0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent conversations we've had on JM and the AM. Alan Fagan is the outgoing executive vice president of the OU. We had a chance to reflect on his six years in the position during a recent interview on JM and the AM. Alan Fagan kicks off our JM Rewind for this week here at the Nachum Siegel Network. We always planned on doing this conversation live, in person, and face-to-face. Uh, that didn't work out because we're in this challenging COVID time and, uh, it is this challenging COVID time that Alan Fagan will remember as the final months <laughs> as the executive vice president of the Orthodox union. He took over the position and, uh, to say the least made the most of it, uh, just over six years ago in the springtime of 2014, uh, he is now, uh moving on and we get to speak with him about what these last six years have been like at the orthodox union alan fagan although it's via telephone and not in person i still say welcome back to jm in the am
1: thank you Nahum uh, good uh good to be back and i'm delighted uh to hear that uh you're going to start to get out of the studio now. Yes. That's great news.
0: I hope I can get used to it quickly. It might be it might be a tough adjustment to actually see sunshine during the day and interact with people. <laughs> what a thought. <laughs> exactly. Who would have thunk it, right? Well, that's great.
1: Another uh, step forward.
0: i, I got to start with the following um, uh, because you're in our forum here, uh, and then we'll get to all the questions I have about the last six years and the future of the OU. Um, we have had uh, over the years – We've had dreams, we've had goals, we've had projects uh, that we believe are difference-makers in the Jewish world, especially when it comes to community. Uh, And we've had a very active, as you know, a very active Jewish unity initiative for many, many years, led by the great Simon Jacob. Uh, Even he would agree that when it came to certain projects, if the OU was not there, they never would have gotten off the ground. And of course, we, when we say that, are thinking immediately of Atlanta and and the tremendous show of unity and bringing people together from so many c- communities in the southeast. We think of Houston of course after the floods just letting people know that somebody uh, in some other area of the country actually cares about them and is thinking about them and we would not have been able to physically have been in these places uh, without uh, you and your enthusiastic support at the OU. So I will start with a big thank you for everything that you've helped us facilitate and do over the last six years.
1: The, the thanks uh, are go going the other direction. Uh, uh, you and the network have just been extraordinary in what you've done for the Jewish people, for your audience, and and certainly for the OU. So thank you.
0: Well, I appreciate that very, very much. And here we are. I never thought that we'd get to this point where we're looking back at six years and the, and and everything that's happened over the last six years. As you move on from this position, Alan Fagan, with us, Executive Vice President, Orthodox Union. Um, I- isn't it strange? And I I am sure. Just as an observer of life for a few decades, I am sure this is a case in so many different circumstances that, that these terms, these long, uh, long, sometimes difficult, but very satisfying terms like your six years, always have some major bump in the road or always have some major highlight that dominates a certain period of time. And what you've gone through since February or early March uh, with the COVID-19 situation, uh, I, I would say your term has ended with a very challenging situation. Is that how you would put it? Uh,
1: yeah, uh, <laughs> to, put it, uh, to put it mildly. <laughs> right. um, you know, the piece I just did in, uh, in Jewish Action, which has uh, just come out, uh, has a little bit of reflection on that precise subject. Because my tenure began with a crisis and has now ended in a crisis uh and and so I feel like my my tenure at the o u was bracketed uh, by crisis. You'll remember uh Nahum, that shortly after I began uh at the at the o u uh we had the uh the gaza war right and uh it came just as we had all of our summer programs that summer had either already departed or were about to depart uh, for Israel. Right. Many of our kids were already there. We had to figure out what to do with them and where to move them. Those that had not yet left, we had to figure out if we were going to send them. Uh, and uh, that sort of 10-day period, I think, was probably uh, the most uh, hectic and and stress provoking time that i've ever encountered
0: and just to put it in perspective, and obviously you don't want war nor do you want uh, um, uh, pandemics, but between the two, that might even have been an easier time because travel was not completely restricted than it is now
1: correct and 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 we had enormous uh, cooperation from our our ground staff uh, in in Israel, the Israeli authorities. Uh, uh, and and from parents, right. uh, and and our incredible incredible NCSY and Yachad staff uh, that were there to manage the whole process, and thank God it it all worked out uh, just fine. This is obviously a you know a, a a different and hopefully once in a lifetime kind of situation, but its consequences are are just. Uh,
0: profound for, for all of us. Yeah, no question about that. You know, I, I said to myself, what are the major categories to discuss with someone like you, who's uh, overseen the uh, the OU over this period of time, and I came up with Kashra's Torah Community Activism and Youth, and maybe Kashra's is the one that our um, audience is most familiar with and the one that really doesn't need a long-term discussion, although we should mention that any time something significant becomes kosher, it is big news in the Jewish world, Alan. I think you've seen that once or twice over the last six years.
1: <laughs> um, you can't beat Oreo cookies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: with, all, with all the news and all the wars and all the activism, when Oreos becomes kosher, or he gets a hashgacha, I should say. There is that, no bigger news. I, no I'm, bigger.
1: Not, I'm not sure what's left, um, but uh, we, we seem to... Uh, we seem to continue uh... that that incredible uh... incredible Friend. I sort of you know, said meatless, that uh, meatless hamburgers, yeah, I suppose, uh, come pretty close.
0: I sort of said that to myself the other day that my kids really are not living through the generation of excitement that I had the privilege of living through, where you know every half a year something significant in the world of kosher was revealed. You know, they they do get a couple of pieces of news here and there, but not that you know that 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 anticipation and then that final uh, you know piece of news that finally th- this item has become kosher.
1: Correct. Correct. You know, I I remember I remember as a child that, you know, Pesach pesach meant potatoes, eggs and onions. Right. Uh now and, look and at now, it. And right? now now you can just walk the aisles of any gourmet grocery yeah. and uh,
0: frozen pizza. It's,
1: it's amazing what's happened uh with, within the the, so the whole true. conscious uh, realm.
0: We talk about how uh, difficult it was to make pesach this year for so many people and I'm not minimizing that, but boy, it's a lot easier when there's frozen pizza in the freezer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you bet. Now, a million products and ingredients. It, it's just an extraordinary, extraordinary service to the Jewish world.
0: Totally remarkable. By the way, one of the most interesting interviews we've had during COVID was when we got a couple of the on who travel a lot to China to discuss what the whole pandemic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what effect it would have on the kashras industry. And it's, you know, obviously a lot of great rabbis and supervisors have made a lot of great adjustments. But, you know, I mean, you talk about this affecting everything. It affected that as well.
1: It, it certainly affected uh, that, and I think it's a, uh, it, it, it's a testament to the ability to pivot <clears throat> from a, a face-to-face world to a virtual world that we've seen in every aspect of our programming. Uh, it, it, it may not be ideal, uh, but it makes doable uh, so much of what it is that we didn't want to stop.
0: No question about it. Alan Fagan's with us, outgoing executive vice president of the OU. So I mentioned the other categories, Torah, community, activism, youth. We touched on the youth aspect with the summer discussion. We touched on the community aspect with the Jewish Unity Initiative uh, topic. Um, So so what is your position about? You work with the president. You work with the board. Uh, Is yours more of a nuts and bolts day-to-day, make sure things are running well job? Or is there a lot of policy and thematic thinking to your job, the direction, the overall attitude, and the overall um, uh, community um, messages that you want to get across from your desk?
1: Uh, cer- certainly part of the job is is nuts and bolts, keeping the trains on the tracks. But I, I, I think the vast portion of my time over the last six years has really been spent uh, in, in trying to engage in strategic planning for the organization and with all of our component parts so that each could expand what they were doing, create better efficiencies in what they were doing, concentrate on their mission, and and most importantly, figure out how to evolve uh, in, in terms of carrying out a mission that has to evolve. Uh, uh, with time, particularly given the kinds of audiences that we work with. Um, You know, I think about NCSY, for example. Mm -hmm. The the way you interacted with a teen audience, that you were trying to bring closer to their Jewish roots, closer closer to Yiddishkeit, more involved with their Jewish identity. The, the, The way you could work with an audience of Jewish teens 20 years ago is fundamentally different than it is today. Right. Indeed, the way you work with such an audience five years ago, or even five months ago, constantly evolves. The kids are different. The demographics are different. Their background is certainly different, uh, uh, and and therefore the, the, the kinds of mechanisms that are necessary. The kinds of approaches that are necessary to work with them have to evolve and if an if an organization doesn't Adapt and change to changing times; it simply stagnates.
0: Yeah, yeah, I have to interrupt you for a second because there are two aspects to this that I need you to analyze for us. The first is, you know, bad example, but 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 often they would say, you know, when the FBI needs to really crack a case, they they throw their you know their their largest and best manpower at it. You know, just keep throwing agents at the case, and eventually it, it'll be solved. It seems like with NCSY. Uh, your organization in the last six years has has done something, something similar. You have taken uh, uh, some of the departments and some of the regions that really needed personnel and you've thrown a lot of staff members in that direction. I would also add to that that a lot of great staff members have. Have gone in that direction. If you look at the talent pool, and I think we're getting to the point now, and it used to be, and maybe it still is, that, that you know there are certain organizations and institutions. People say, oh, if he's a rabbi who is ordained by X, Y, or Z, you know, you know, you're getting a quality rabbi. I think now any time you see NCSY attached to a young person's resume who's in their 20s or 30s, you know you're getting a very talented young man or young woman. And I think that's sort of a development of the last half a decade.
1: We've been absolutely blessed uh, in being able to both attract and retain really extraordinary talent. And and that holds not just for NCSY, but throughout Yachad and JLIC, our Synagogue Services Department, our birthright organization, uh, all of our new programming, our Women's Initiative and the Center for Communal Research, up and down the line of our programs. Mm -hmm. We have been absolutely blessed uh, with really extraordinarily talented uh, men and women. And and I say men and women because we've made a concerted effort. Uh, And I think part of our success has been the expansion, the rapid expansion of our talent pool so that we can bring in not just incredibly talented men but incredibly talented women into the organization who are making enormous contributions.
0: Yeah. Speaking to my point, by the way, last week I interviewed somebody on the air, and when I saw J.L.I.C. as I was preparing for the interview, I saw J.L.I.C. in his resume. I, I knew that we were talking about a certain type of talent, and that's you know that's amazing that someone could be labeled like that, and people you know already know that. Oh my gosh, if they were if they were a J.L.I.C. couple, we're talking about you know people who can make a big difference out there.
1: Make a big difference and have, and and, and certainly the last several months as as college students left campus and returned uh, home for the most part, their ability to maintain literally day-to-day contact with thousands of college students no longer congregated on a particular campus but now spread across the country uh, has been truly, uh, truly uh, remarkable.
0: Alan Fagan's with us, outgoing executive vice president of the OU. Uh, We talk about activism. Um, We saw the role that your organization has played, and I would say two major things, obviously many, many others, but I'll point out these two examples. Number one, uh, the tuition situation. Nobody ever thought that any type of lobbying on a city, state, or federal level would get any breaks or any type of funding for the Jewish world. Obviously, you and your staff proved otherwise. In addition to that, I think that anybody who benefited or was saved – by government programs that were set up to help people during COVID-19 owes your uh, um, Washington Department a very big debt of gratitude because they were out there telling the Jewish community exactly what they need to do if they're a not-for-profit, if they're a regular business, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure you would argue that without sowing these seeds and without planting these, uh, these seeds 20 years ago or maybe even more, the OU would never have had personnel at the level and connected enough to have given out this information and to do so reliably?
1: You know, it's a, it's a, uh, it, it's a question really of two things. It, it's a question of priority, and it's a question of approach. Uh, and I'm enormously proud of the huge leap forward that we've taken in our advocacy efforts, in particular our state and local advocacy efforts, to bring so much in the way of resources resources, and, and government funding to schools and to yeshivas uh, in all of the states in which we operate and, and, and we took a, a, a very, very different approach uh, than we had taken in the past. Uh, you know, in the good old days I remember you'd go up to, uh, to Albany with a car full of people, <clears throat> you'd prowl the halls in Albany you'd buttonhole some legislators, you'd take some photographs, you'd put them in a newsletter, and you thought you had engaged in spectacular advocacy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it doesn't work that way. Uh, The the, the approach that we adopted five or six years ago as we created the Teach Network, which now operates in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Florida, Maryland, California, we we cover about 90% of yeshiva and day school students in the states in which we operated the the approach that we took was to say that we needed to engage in advocacy in the same way that a major corporation would engage in advocacy efforts on a matter that was critical to their own success as an entity and that's the approach that we took we started to hire the best lobbyists that we could find in every state in which we operated we hired the best public relations professionals that we could find. We created consortiums of, of, uh, of involved schools that are now fully engaged with us, not only in helping to fund the effort, but in coming together as a unified group and making certain that our voice was going to be heard in all of the state houses uh, out there that we needed to, uh, to focus on. And the results ha- have, have been nothing short. Of, uh, of uh, remarkable. We, yeah. we calculated recently that over the last six years, we probably have brought somewhere in the vicinity of uh, $1.1 billion uh, to yeshivas and day schools in various kinds of funding basic per capita funding, STEM funding, technology funding, security funding, busing nursing services, whole panoply of, of, uh, of services uh, that schools were um, uh, desperately in need of, and, and parents were desperately in need of. The tuition burden is crushing. And
0: we never would have had that kind of money. I don't know, if we, I mean, one could say it's all gravy, that we never would have had any of this without the advocacy.
1: We, we had some, but we were able to multiply uh, that number uh, enormously. And not only to multiply what was coming out of state and local government, but also to create a mechanism so that every school that we worked with, every yeshiva that we worked with, was aware of the entitlements that they had under various government programs that we helped to create. And we assisted them in doing all of the complicated paperwork that was necessary uh, in order to access those funds. And now there are any number of, of major yeshivas and day schools who tell us that a substantial portion of their budget uh, is now covered uh, by that aid. Now now our job is going to be in the in the post-COVID world where, where states are reeling in terms of their own uh, uh, economic uh, difficulties. Now our job is to preserve... Uh, the gains that uh, that we've made, and, and that's going to be a monumental task that we're turning our attention to
0: now. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the Single Network, and of course in the beloved NSN app, Alan Fagan, outgoing Executive Vice President of the OU, is with us as we speak about the last six years. He took over in the spring of 2014 uh, in, this, uh, in the position of Executive Vice President. By the way, and maybe this is one of the benefits of COVID-19, uh, if there is such a thing, because of the whole Zoom thing, the OU under your leadership spent so much time trying to help grow community programming and youth programming around the country. You've taken great pride in uh, in in your synagogues and communities around the entire country, and paid special attention over the last six years uh, to make sure that that um, uh, rabbis and lecturers, both men and women, would be able to uh, to get out to different communities. Uh, you've you created a a system where. Uh, People who are looking for youth activities and shul programming could consult with those who were in larger and more established communities uh, to get advice and to share ideas. And uh, I think maybe now with the Zoom generation, you know, in in full swing, uh, maybe we'll see even more of that. where We'll we'll be able to facilitate outlying communities in certain areas of the U.S. to have top-notch guest speakers who may not be able to to fly out or have the schedule to, to fly specifically for a weekend to those communities.
1: You know, it, 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 it's interesting. All of us, I, I think everybody is is engaged in this uh, process of prognostication about what the new normal is going to look like, how right. the world is going to change uh, in light of uh, what we've learned during this epidemic. Uh, and certainly one of the things that we've learned uh, is the ability to harness the power of technology. We've had shiurim that we have sponsored with with some of the finest uh, minds, some of the greatest scholars and and, and Rabbanim uh, anywhere in the world. And now you recognize that they don't necessarily need to be in a particular place at a particular time to uh, uh, to spread their knowledge, their wisdom, and their Torah. They can do it from anywhere and they can do it to as broad an audience that technology permits can be on at one time uh, uh, on, uh, on a presentation. And that's been a hugely important lesson for us. How much of that will remain post-COVID uh, I think remains to be seen. We certainly have demonstrated the ability to do that, and we've demonstrated at the same time the enormous thirst that's out there.
0: I was just going to ask you, well, how thirsty is American jury for this?
1: They are parched. Exactly. Uh, and, 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 and the question is how much of that is going to remain? Uh, you know, at, when, 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 we were all quarantining and, and we had time on our hands, we dedicated a portion of that time to learning. Will that dedication continue in the same, with the same zeal and the same enthusiasm I hope the answer is yes. Time will tell. There's, there's also no question. Uh, I think that that for for large chunks of our demographic, uh, young people in particular, uh, I, I I think there's a certain uh, uh, you know sense of, of of tiredness of staring at a screen. Yep. Uh, and and I think schools are seeing that. Young people are seeing that. They just want to escape. Uh, you know, I heard a wonderful term uh, a couple of weeks ago, zoomed," <laughs> uh, and, and and that, unfortunately, I think, is, is also a reality, and how this will all kind of mesh together, the, the, the pluses and the minuses, uh, the, the silver lining that we've seen uh, uh, in being able to harness technology and the possible reaction to all of that I think we're going to see that playing out uh, over, the, over the next uh, period of months and beyond.
0: Alan, what about the whole global aspect? W- weren't there a lot of eyebrows raised when you spoke about youth groups forming under your umbrella in South America and in Germany and in, in Israel getting stronger and stronger under your uh, uh, supervision in terms of their youth programs, et cetera? Uh,
1: yes. And, and uh, you know, what we're, what we're finding is that while there are uh, uh, certainly, programs that operate globally, there, there's a certain a, a certain way of doing things, a, a certain way of invo- involving, particularly teens, uh, in activity that NCSY has mastered. It, it's a it's an approach. It's a it's a unique way of connecting.
0: It's also a realization that the world is getting so much smaller. A lot of people wouldn't have the guts to to think they can go ahead and uh, and cover the territory that you've gone ahead and declared you can cover. Uh, but it, you you realize how small the world is at this point.
1: The world is smaller, but but it's also a question of people. Right. And and for us, it's it's it, we're limited by only two things: the identification of talent, the acquisition of talent, uh, and the funds necessary to support a program. And we've been we've been blessed with extraordinary talent in Argentina, in Chile, in Israel. Now the NCSY chapters in Israel are blooming uh, because there is an enormous demand, particularly within the Anglo community Um, and and recent Olim uh, who bring with them uh, American teens or Anglo teens who have grown up in a certain way, grown up in a certain culture, then get dropped into a culture which in many ways is difficult to break into. And NCSY becomes the avenue for them uh, to be able to navigate all of those new cultural realities.
0: Finally, we spoke to David Cutler yesterday. How hard have all these summer decisions been? Agonizing. I can only imagine.
1: Absolutely uh, agonizing. You know, when, when, when you try... To balance the extraordinary need that's out there to provide healthy and wholesome and educationally rich programming for so many kids who aren't sure what they're going to be doing this summer you balance that against the ability to do it safely and appropriately and and you're walking a tightrope that's almost impossible uh, uh, to walk. So true. We we had um, before March, so even fairly early in the season before the pandemic really gripped us uh, in, in March uh, we had 1,700 teens uh, signed up to be with us for the summer and that number would have grown uh, over the next month or two as and, we got closer to And the if you'd
0: mention how many of them are public school youth, people wouldn't even believe you. Half of them. Unbelievable.
1: Uh, uh, half of them, and 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 so it it it's I, I think the biggest disappointment for all of us the the amount of time and an emotional energy and work uh, that went into thinking about every conceivable alternative that we could think of and thinking about whether we actually had the capability uh, of of pivoting from an Israel-based primarily travel program uh, to an American-based camping-type program. Uh, people think the summer is the summer, but those are fundamentally different kinds of programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and the skills necessary to run them safely and efficiently aren't necessarily uh, uh, identical. But what we will be doing is, is, is running a, a massive uh, program called Project Community In communities all across the United States that will be providing uh, day programming for what we anticipate will be hundreds if not thousands of of teens in in at least uh, 20 communities around uh, the United States.
0: And And, and I know mature people don't cry over spilled milk and we don't lament what we can't control but nonetheless (laughs) it's hard not to lament when you think of all those public school youth who go to Israel and would have this summer and come back and really change their families, not just them, but have such a tremendous positive effect uh, Jewishly and religiously on their families. And in addition to that, there are a lot, of, uh, a lot of students who go with you guys, with the OU, if people remember how it works, through birthright to Israel. And that, too, is a group that's not going anywhere right now. And, and that's one that helps change this generation for the positive. So I know we shouldn't lament when we can't control, but it's hard not to avoid you know, thinking about what kind of shame it is that it's not taking place.
1: It's it's a it's a terrible uh, terrible shame, uh, but I do need to give an enormous shout out to our NCSY staff yep. that has figured out how to maintain contact with all of these kids that are participating, uh, and we're looking forward with enormous uh, optimism to uh, uh, the next summer and um, making up some of the lost ground. You never can, you, you never can fill right. that gap uh, entirely, but that holds true in, in so many aspects of how this epidemic has affected everyone.
0: Yeah, who knows? Maybe this delay in travel will simply encourage more and more youth to go next summer, which is always possible. Uh, Alan Fagan, an outgoing executive vice president at the OU. Uh, He's been there since the spring of 2014 in this position. And I know that, you know, in in terms of uh, your uh, successor, um, you know, things may change and and responsibilities are are, are divided up differently, you know, in every administration. But with all that in mind, tell us your impressions of uh, incoming executive vice president, Rabbi Moshe Hauer.
1: He is an extraordinary man. Uh, uh, He is a person of of, uh, uh, enormous vision, vision. Uh, in-depth knowledge of of our community, uh, and, and he is a warm and very very decent person. So
0: you're leaving this in good hands, Alan.
1: There's going to be a terrific management team uh, <laughs> uh, in place, and 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 I, I salute them, and I salute the organization for uh, having as seamless a transition as I've ever seen in 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 any uh, for-profit or not-for-profit uh, enterprise.
0: Uh, I can't thank you enough we'll we'll get the opportunity I know you will be visiting us at some point in the future and I have a feeling that uh, you know in 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 in, in now what uh, you would call more of a lay leadership position uh you will still be involved both with the oU and many other causes out there I can't imagine that you're literally hanging up your hat and uh, retiring from all this alan
1: well i i i, I think it's gonna uh it, it's gonna change uh in terms of uh uh day-to-day responsibility uh, certainly and 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 hopefully give me the opportunity now to spend uh far more time uh with uh with my wife with my children my grandchildren and please god shortly with a great grandchild
0: wow but as ratash uh even with, meanwhile with all that they'll all going to have to understand that you still have an eye toward what's going on in the community <laughs>
1: I don't think I'll lose that.
0: <laughs> Not a chance. I thank you again for everything. Look forward to being touched in the future, and uh, and thank you for looking back at these six years with us this morning.
1: Thank you, Nachum. It's a pleasure to have been with you on so many occasions. Pleasure to be with you today, and wish you continued great, great success with all of the wonderful work uh, you do with, uh, with our community and our deepest thanks and appreciation to you.
0: Appreciate that very, very much. Continued success and uh, and thank you for six wonderful years. Alan Fagan, Executive Vice President, outgoing Executive Vice President at the OU, the Orthodox Union, looking back at a term that started around Pesach time in 2014. Tuesday morning broadcast, Rosh Chodesh morning at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Alan Fagan, Executive Vice President for the last six years at the OU. Up next, Avi Shik. He has been leading the legal battle against the government of the state of New York regarding overnight summer camps for the summer of 2020. Uh, my conversation with Avi Shik on a recent edition of JM in the AM here on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Well let's get into this. You know that uh, I have been uh, over the last 11 days inviting on a uh, daily basis um, uh, much to the annoyance of some people, I'm a little surprised at some of the people in our community who are, uh, who are not able to, um, understand the importance of staying on top of the governor of the state of New York on the issue of summer camps. The last 11 days I've been publicly, um, uh, inviting the, the, the governor, inviting the governor to come on and to speak about the, uh, the summer camp decision and, uh, the op-ed that I wrote that was published, um. Uh, certainly was a clear-cut document outlining those questions that I would respectfully uh, ask, and the questions I would use. So it's not like there are any gotcha questions; they're all there uh, in a conversation with the governor. But he has not yet responded, as we know, and we'll see how long we'll. Get. Some some people have suggested that we should continue to campaign until I broadcast from an empty camp, Misora. That's what people have suggested that we should go up to camp and and show everybody, including the governor, tag him on all the, the videos of the facilities that are not being used, and how much fun, how much um, summer pleasure, and how much education, frankly, um, uh, campers could have gotten uh, in camp this summer. Uh, So if we do do that uh, eventually with Camp Missouri, we may actually end the campaign there. Anyway, Avi Schick, who's representing the Jewish camps and parents who've sued the governor of the state of New York, and at one time was a, was deputy attorney general of the state of New York is with us live via telephone Avi Shik welcome back to JM in the AM
2: Good morning Malcolm. thank you for having me um uh i'm a little perturbed because uh here it is, the governor gets the questions in advance, and, and yet I don't. Why, well, why is that?
0: Well, if you read the op-ed, you'll see exactly why. We, we addressed that at the very beginning of the article. That was, that was a great way to start, Avi. All right, so who's in the lawsuit? Is it, in fact, a collection of summer camps, including my dear friends at the beloved Camp Misora, and some parents who uh, are frustrated by the fact that the governor has ruled there'll be no overnight camping in New York this season?
2: Yes, we have uh, five different plaintiffs. There are four parents who um, whose desire is to send their kids to uh, to overnight camp in in New York this summer, and we also have what's known as AGCO, the Association of Jewish Camp Operators. It's a coalition of um, dozens and dozens of of Jewish camps that operate in New York, and uh, they operate. They come together under that umbrella um, to deal with uh, issues of common concern, uh, including most prominently this year. Uh, their ability to uh, open.
0: Now, uh, and, and you say dozens. I mean, it's it's not a stretch to say there's between 50 and 100 in that group?
2: Yeah, I think it's... Uh, Even more? Somewhere right in between there. I think that's right. right. Um,
0: all right, so let's start with this. Here's what the average guy uh, has learned since you started the lawsuit. Apparently this case, and again, you know, I don't know the legalese, you do, this case won't be heard or won't be decided or the hearing has been pushed off until we keep hearing September. With that in mind that there's now this delay, is it impossible for any legal matter, any legal means to reopen those summer camps?
2: Uh, That's a misunderstanding. I know every, 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 uh, you know, Jewish uh, child is uh, is half a lawyer, and so um, <laughs> everybody knows what they're doing. But no, the, the, the reality is um, that you know the, the schedule is not set. What what people, I guess, are referring to is that automatically, when you initiate a lawsuit, there is a uh, computer-driven schedule that uh, would apply in the normal course. Um, in fact, we we intend um, in a little over an hour from now, an hour and a half from now. To file um, papers seeking a temporary restraining order and a preliminary injunction, and and that will you know get us before the judge uh, sooner. We have a proposed schedule for the judge that uh, hopefully will get us heard this week. We have no we, you know we won't know for sure what the judge says about that um, until uh, a little bit later this morning. But but certainly the uh, the computer generated okay they have normally you know 30 days to answer and so on and so forth and so we'll have a preliminary conference in, in, you know, some period of time is, is not um, really anything to, to be concerned about.
0: Well, just for that alone, I'm glad I brought you on this morning for that clarification because I know despondent staff members and despondent campers of Camp Misora who now are going to believe, based on your words rightfully, that there is hope, that there is still a possibility. Avi Shik is with us live via telephone. Now, if this would happen, if you, and, and again, it's not fair to ask you for a prediction, but I don't want people to think that this is a shot in the dark. I don't want people to think that this is, you know, a needle in a haystack, a one-in-a-million possibility. This is real, right? What, what what could happen in the next 48 hours is a real possibility of what you just described.
2: Yeah, now, it, it probably won't, you know, the, the chances of getting a decision, you know, or even a full hearing um, in front of the judge in 48 hours is less likely, but to, to get heard this week is something that we're, hopeful about um and you know it's a it's a serious lawsuit um we have serious claims we've put our arguments uh um together and and put them forward before the judge and i think the best manner possible um y- you know we'll have to see where the judge's mind is at sometimes judges are, are deferential or too deferential to government right. you know i guess in my eight ten years in government i didn't see it that way but uh where i sit now um you know we're hoping for a independent uh, Minded judge who will just look, you know, at the facts as uh, as they are, and uh, if, if if he does that, I think that you know we have a, a serious shot here.
0: Is it helpful? Avi Shik is with us. Is it helpful for your case, for the parents' case, for the camps' case? Everybody together. Is it helpful that the governor has decided that day camps can open?
2: I I think it certainly is. Most people, just as a matter of of common sense, um, put aside the doctors who. You know, are supporting uh, the the plan that the overnight camps put together. But as a matter of common sense, people are are scratching their head because all we've heard about for the last several months, obviously, is the bubble and staying inside your bubble. And overnight camps offer a uh, a, a bubble of uh, of campers and and staff, you know, secluded from from anybody outside. Um, and you know, by contrast, day camps, you know, you'll have Ten kids to a bunk let's say, and they 'll spend their eight or ten hours together in day camp and then they go each of them each of those campers goes home at night and interacts with their friends, their neighbors, their relatives, storekeepers whatnot and and then they all recongregate the next day, and so it would seem that the chance of of spreading infection the, the the chance of bringing something from outside camp into camp and then spreading it um and conversely catching something in camp and then spreading it. Um, among those uh, with whom you spend time at night after camp is, is far greater than you know the risk in an overnight camp
0: uh, Avi Shik is with us, and uh, the way i 've seen some of the camps um, uh, behave over the last few months. The way they've started to, and really not just started, but but came up with a with almost a final plan of how to deal with all this, if the parents would cooperate, and I know that sometimes that's a big if in our community, but one would have to suspect that in this case everybody would be on their best re- behavior to cooperate. If every family would cooperate, then the camps would really have the environment that you just described. And if God forbid, if God forbid, someone did get sick, obviously uh, the, the the option I would guess would be to you know to have have them picked up. And taken home because I think one of the one of the things that that the government has said they are concerned about is what this might do to the health care system in the cities where the camps are holding their program. Avi, wouldn't you agree that the directors you've spoken to are were ready with a plan to make sure that anybody who needed to be quarantined in camp, or if the case was more serious, needed to go home? In fact, would be able to.
2: Absolutely, the uh, the, the camp operators. You know, we're working on this uh, certainly as as early as April, maybe late March, and you know, it was put together really under the auspices of the camp operators. But you know, they brought in an entire team of infectious diseases specialists, other doctors, you know, health professionals um, who guided them in, in in terms of formulating the policies and the guidelines and the protocols that they were willing to adopt. And it, it wasn't something put together in an afternoon. It was the product of of a lot of Serious thought by yep. very serious people. Yeah, And
0: people, parents and campers, frankly, uh, staff members as well, came up with really good recommendations over these couple of months that were incorporated. A lot of people, you know, realized it was a good idea when so many people were on the same page of certain things. I'm telling you, everybody out there, you don't realize the preparation that's gone into this, the thought that's gone into this to make sure that the summer camps could open, uh, the overnight camps could open safely. And unfortunately in New York state, that's not happening. Avi, um, one of the fr- There are a couple of frustrating things here, in addition to the whole day camp, overnight camp uh, uh, discussion. Um, you might recall that uh, early on, or certainly earlier than now, in this whole uh, reopening discussion, it wasn't a reopening process yet, it was a discussion, uh, the governor of New York had formed some type of alliance, Northeast Governors, I think he referred to it, uh, where seven states were working together so that reopening, would happen together and you wouldn't have a situation, this is what the governor had said, he did this in order to avoid a situation where people would go from one state to another state to take advantage of a service or some type of program that's already open. Since that day, I think everything has gone in completely the opposite direction. Different cities and and regions, even in our own state, are in different phases. So, in theory, if I wanted to get a haircut last week in you know, and I'm living in New York City, I would in fact travel to a different country county in New York State. And obviously, many states, as we see between beach situations and many others, are completely off kilter in terms of some type of coordinated schedule. This is what we are seeing now. With summer camps, those that were scheduled to open in New York State, like my beloved Camp Misora, now are seriously considering going to places like Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and otherwise, in order to open their program. That, to me, is very frustrating when the whole effort was supposed to be implemented to avoid this type of situation. Your thoughts?
2: Yeah, well, I, I, you know, it, it's certainly one of the curiosities here. Um, w- one is hard pressed to find a consistent sort of thought or or, or philosophy or, or policy that that seems to guide things. And so, you know, I think I think what you know um, what makes people most frustrated, of course, is the fact that um, a couple of weeks ago, when the uh, uh, the protests really gathered ahead of steam um, after the killing of George Floyd, and it's understandable. Um, but the, the governor and other political leaders in New York, um, who were sympathetic to the, you know, the uh, the issue that the protesters were bringing to the forefront, um, they, they they encouraged it, despite the fact that you were talking about tens and many tens of thousands of people who were congregating without any of the social distancing that we're hearing about for weeks and months, and and, and the elect, our elected officials were quite clear that they were in a sense suspending, right the. Uh, um, all those, uh, you know, I'll health appreciate. guidelines that we heard about for, for so many weeks, and they were doing so because they were in allegiance with the protesters. And, you know, that's that's fine, but you don't get to pick and choose among the First Amendment rights that you like, and, and and those that you agree with or those that you respect or those that you want to promote get one set of rules, and those that, you know, are not, you know, favored get another set of rules. That 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 doesn't work, right? That's not, you know, a neutral standard. That's a double standard
0: hundred percent. That's the way it seems, certainly. Uh, Also, and and again, if you tell me that this is not the proper forum for you to address this, I'll accept that. Uh, But we've been told, we've been told by many of our leaders, especially the ones in New York City and New York State, that only truth, facts, and science will guide their decisions when it comes to what does reopen, what doesn't reopen, and when. And and I, I again, I don't know if it's something you can address, but I I suspect that there might be, even though they've declared that politics will never enter into these decisions. I suspect there might be a drop of politics that's gone into this formula. Anything you want to say about that?
2: Yeah, here's the way I look at it. I, I don't know what what's in someone's mind, sort of consciously, but um, what I do see here, and frankly, um, it, it's something that that you know, plagues us um, in, in so many different areas. Is right. We live at a time and a place where religion is is out of favor, and what what happens then is, you know, if 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 government, which controls so much of our lives, right, if, if they're looking at at any risk assessment, right, and they say on, on, on the one side of the scale they put, um, here's a potential for something. To happen some harm, right. something bad, on right. the other side of the scale, they put religion, well, they don 't give any weight to religion right it's not something that they value, right. so you know in their mind, there's no you know any potential risk is uh, outweighs the benefit um because religious practice is is not meaningful and and government's not supposed to do that, and you know uh, for for us, for our community. Right, you know, camp is 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 not only a a great place to to make friends and to gather the city. It's an educational tool, right? right? We have uh, the kids learn there, and 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 sometimes they thrive in in ways that they can't even do in school. Right? Um, you know how how people come to appreciate tefillah, how people come to appreciate Shabbos. How many of us, you know, still you know, when we're at our own Shabbos table with our own families with our own children, right? Our our Shabbos meals, our our are really driven by the experiences that we had in camp. Right. And so but they don't see it that way. So so we see the great benefit and, and therefore we bring in infectious diseases doctors to say, okay, how can we maintain this benefit, you know, in the in the healthiest, safest way. Mm-hmm. The government just says, well, there might be a risk. And any risk outweighs the benefit because we can't we don't value the benefit, and I think that that's a real real problem in, in the society we live in, right. and unfortunately it's just getting worse
0: right it's the old you know just to save one life and I'm not minimizing one life, but this attitude of just to save one life has kept our our stores and livelihoods for a lot of people you know closed for a very, very long time, again not minimizing the importance of life, but the balance is simply not there and um, and and by the way. Uh, that, that might also be, um, it may also be appropriate to mention that the, the governor, and this is something I would ask him, of course, as I mentioned in the op-ed, uh, the governor said he would not send his own kids to summer camp this summer. Since when do we decide public policy based on what one person, no matter what their position would or would not do, you know, if we decided public policy, Uh, On on the experiences of of one family or one individual, then basically every murderer would be you know given capital punishment because that's what every family would vote for who's lost somebody at the hands of a murderer. Uh, But we don't do that. We don't arrange public policy uh, based on the experiences or the attitudes or the opinions of one person or one family. Um,
2: That's exactly especially when it comes to our constitutional rights. Right. Right. What we can't have is that you know the the, the, um, what the governor is doing is you know he's he's using a very narrow lens of personal preference or personal experience and that's just not the way to view you know um, our ability to exercise our rights to exercise um, our constitutional rights as parents as, as Jews as believers um, who, who say this is how we want to raise our children we want especially this year right especially this year where no one's been in the classroom for three months right um, more than three months and, phys- um, and physical activity to- and
0: physical activity something Just to run around a little bit. They've been in their house for three and a half months.
2: Absolutely. I mean, listen, you know, if you think about so many other things in society, whether it's, you know, right, you know, organized sports, most of our, most of our Yeshua schools, right, don't, don't have football teams. Right. don't travel, you know, all over the state. Right. For, for organized sports activities and leagues. So number one, this gives us the ability to do that. But, but think about it the other way. You know, unfortunately one reads about, you know, accidents and injuries, serious injuries, right? You know, in, 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 in larger society right. in, in, in organized sports among youth. And and of course, what does government do there? They try to find the right balance between figuring out the best way to protect health and safety mm-hmm. while promoting that activity. Correct. Right? You know, God forbid when you when, when when a kid gets seriously hurt in in team sports in, in in a public high school, or when you know, and you see this unfortunately too often, when you know there's some accident because you know the team van is coming back late at night, they don't close that. They don't just say, okay, no more sports, right. no more team sports. Of course. Um, and here, unfortunately, they're saying no more camp.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right, Avi, I know you got to go, but last question: uh, When can we expect? And I don't mean us here at at the broadcast. There are other ways I know to disseminate information as well. When will we as a community hear? I'm desperate for my beloved Camp Misora to open up in its location in Guilford, New York. When's the next time we'll hear something? Based on what you told us earlier, it sounds like by the end of this week, we very well might have some information. What can you tell us about a timetable?
2: Well, as I said, we're going to file papers in a little over an hour from now. Um, they, um, they, they seek a TRO. They put, to, they put forward in the most comprehensive way of the legal basis for what we're seeking, what we're demanding. We have a whole series of declarations of affidavits from infectious diseases doctors, from camp directors, from parents explaining the basis for that. So that will be filed in in just over an hour. And, you know, that will get us to the conversation with the court about the schedule for this. So we're hoping to have a clearer picture of the schedule uh, today. And and hopefully it gets us a schedule where we get heard, right? Camps, we're going to start this week, Wednesday, Thursday, the 24th and the 25th. Right, We're probably the target dates that camp we're looking at, and we're hoping... That, that the court is mindful of that and says at least at least give us a hearing by then right. so that you know we can we can have a better idea of, of where this is headed.
0: And I keep talking about Camp Messora, and they've had a big role in all of this on the camp side. We should acknowledge Avi and I think you'd agree uh, that the goodness is Israel of America has had a major uh role on the organizational side, correct?
2: Absolutely and uh, you know ADSCO, the Association of Jewish Camp Operators, which which is the umbrella Body was uh, right. uh, founded and probably run for many years by Mayor Frischman, who uh, so many of us know as sure. the wonderful director of, of Camp Agudibino's for, for decades. Correct. And, um, and and AGCO has been the umbrella under which they're operating now, and, and Mayor himself, of course, put in um, a very moving and meaningful declaration, you know, as part of the papers that we'll be submitting in an hour.
0: Avi, thank you very, very much. Fight on. Keep it going. That, keep, keep on thank going, you Avi you,
2: you keep it up, and, you know, your, your, your listeners – you know, should, should keep on making noise about this, should keep on demanding from our elected officials that we get justice here.
0: That's 100% right. It's one of the reasons, uh, even with the frustration of some of my fans, it's one of the reasons we keep calling out the uh, governor on Twitter and other uh, avenues on a daily basis. Avi Shik, everybody. Uh, he's uh, one of the people leading the fight. You heard what's going on in terms of the legalese and in terms of what we should expect this week. Uh, let's hope the fight continues and continues on until... Camp Missora up in Guilford, New York, opens up their campus and all the hundreds of camps in New York State that want to have an amazing summer for their campers and staff, even if it's limited, even if it's with the testing, even if it's with all the regulations and policies that they're going to implement. Everything that they're going to do in the safest way possible. Uh, let us hope this continues, this fight, until all the camps are open. Monday morning broadcast, you're listening to JM in the AM. <laughs> That was my conversation with Avi Shik about summer camping in New York State during the summer of 2020. Thanks so much for tuning in to JM Rewind. Make sure to keep it here all day long for great music and more on the Nahum Siegel Network.